Well, I want to welcome everybody today to the Entrepreneur Show. And as always, I am delighted to interview our next guest. My name is Heidi Richards Mooney, and I'm your host today. I want to tell you a little bit about our special guest. Joanna Brandy is a consultant, public speaker, and author, and so much more. Joanna uh, is the author of two books on customer loyalty, Winning at Customer Retention, 101 Ways to Keep Them Happy, Keep Them Loyal, and Keep Them Coming Back, and Building Customer Loyalty, 21 Essential Elements in Action, as well as a gift book on positive thinking, 54 Ways to Stay Positive in a Changing, Challenging, and Sometimes Negative World. She is currently writing From Positive Thinking to Positive Doing, Positivity Practices that Help You Turn Happiness into a Habit. Say that fast three times. <laughs> Since 1998, Joanna has inspired CEOs and key executives all over the country to take better care of their customers and employees and to see a tangible return on their happiness. Her company's core mission is to create positive customer caring companies that thrive, where the employees are happy and motivated, the customers are happy, happy and loyal, and the competitors are nervous. Wow. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so, I hope I didn't mess up the titles of your books yeah, too much. Okay, they're very long. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about them a little bit more throughout the, sure. the sure. topic today. Um, but I want to first talk about, because your website's called Return on Happiness. And on Sunday, March 20th, the world celebrated International Day of Happiness. Yeah. Tell us how you celebrated and recognized the day. Well, I did that two ways. One was personally and the other one was professionally. Let me tell you about what we did professionally first. We did a lot of research on what was going on all around the world. And, and for two weeks working up to the day, we posted on Facebook, we posted on Twitter. I've got a number of Facebook pages. And we sent out little hints and little memes to get people really, really excited about Happiness Day and encourage them to do something in their own communities. Because it's it's something that you want to spread around. And next year, we'll be doing something locally. This year, I had already signed up for a four-day retreat. And that's a, that's a tough choice. You know, I wanted to do something personal for myself because I really needed a few days away. I'm working on this huge project and, and the opportunity to go to this particular place with this particular teacher really worked into what I was doing. But I had a little bit of an emotional conflict. There was like, oh my goodness, you know, should I be, should I be out there with my peeps doing something with happiness or should I be doing something that will have a longer lasting effect for me, which is to get me nice and relaxed and open me up a little bit to keep writing. I'm writing, um, I'm taking a two-day positive leadership course that I've been presenting in person, and I'm working with a company to help me turn it into a 10 to 12 unit e-learning course, you know, with videos and with cartoons and with illustrations and with quizzes. And it's it's for me, it's the biggest project I've ever worked on. And I must say that it has been challenging. So um, I decided to go away on retreat for four days. And what I did was I encouraged the entire group of people I was with, we were singing together. And singing has a way of just, you know, not only relaxing, but opening me up. So I, I told everybody about International Happiness Day and asked them to all, you know, just as they were singing that day, go to their hearts and connect to all the people around the world that were celebrating Happiness Day. Because, you know, we're all connected anyway, and, and we can do that intentionally. So on that day, I and the 27, 28, eight other people I was with um, connected in intentionally with what was going on around the world to spread more happiness. So you actually did do oh, something for your I, business. I, I, yeah. you oh, yeah. It, now you're, you're promoting this 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 feeling, this thought, this movement that's so important today, especially. Yeah. And the fact is that the 27 or 28 people that you touch will now go and touch that oh, and many that's, millions that's of people. That's the whole point of what directly. I do is that every leader, 
has such impact. I deal mostly with leadership, and I have been for my whole career. I do, I do work with people that are in the customer service departments, but primarily in organizations. I work with the leadership because they have the most influence with the people in the organization. And that's the most amazing thing is that if you if you get one leader to understand how to lead more positively, how to enrich the, the lives of their employees so the employees then have the energy to enrich the lives of the customers, that's really where that return on happiness comes. So, so tell us a little bit more about return on happiness. What does the phrase mean? And how did you come up with that as a business? Well, um, a brand yeah, for your yeah. business. Well, again, because I've been in, I've been doing this for so long. I kept hearing people talk about ROI, return on investment. But when you use the term ROI, you are almost always referring to financial investment. And and I I needed to to find a way to talk to. I work a lot with CEOs, so I I needed to learn to find a language that they understood. Well, they understand ROI. So I thought if I did a play on ROH, I could catch their ears and get them to understand that there is not just a, there's a return on the emotional investment you put into business. There is a return on the happiness that you bring because happiness is contagious. And when I talk about happiness, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, the smiley little yellow face. I'm, I'm talking about any positive emotion because any positive emotion we experience changes our entire body. And primarily for business, the, the, the productivity goes up, performance goes up. But for me, I think more importantly, you get, you get three to 10 times more creativity in an organization when there's more positivity happening. So when we focus on creating more of what we call positive capacity, the ability to experience more positive emotions, the opportunity to experience more positive emotions. People just become more creative because it literally opens up the two sides of the brain and has them talk to one another. So there is a phenomenon has been labeled uh, the broaden and build response. So when you're happy or you're curious or you're peaceful or you're joyful or you're, you know, any one of 10, 15, 20 different positive experiences, you're, the chemicals that the body produces opens up the learning centers in the brain and you become more creative. Your memory gets better. Your peripheral vision, you can actually physically see more when you're in the state of positive emotion. So there's all this cool stuff that happens to this human being. We forget, I think, in businesses, we have human resources, we have human capital, we have all this, but we're human beings and we have these human bodies that respond in a specific way to a specific set of emotions. And and and, you know what I, and and I agree with you 100%. I think that we don't focus enough on 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 the positivity and the and the happiness. And I wanted to go back a step uh, when you talked about your retreat because I wanted to make a comment about as a leader and as a person who is um, sharing this information mm -hmm. with the world by doing what you did. You're showing people the importance of this self-care and walking the talk and you know if we take care of ourselves and we're happy everybody around us is happy because you know the old saying when mama ain't happy no <laughs> i love that happy. saying yeah. and i and i think it's true i think that we set the tone in everything that we do i think women in particular but i think in general people leaders set the tone because i can tell you when i would i i had a retail florist for 28 years i still have the florist but we're now doing more um we have a warehouse so we don't have a walk-in store or anything anymore but my and we we had a company meeting oh we've been in business several years and and one of the group one of the women in the group said one of the um, employees said you know we can always tell when you're in a good mood when you walk in the store in the door because it's the way you walk in the door they could hear it in my footsteps whether I was walking like happy. And I mean, I'm a very positive person. I might have two bad days a year. People think it's weird, but I'm just, I'm just, you know, happiness is a choice. I truly believe that. I mean, I think there's some things, you know, we all have, go through stuff, you know, that brings yeah. us down. Um, but I, so I, I said to myself, you know what, that's really such great insight. It helped me be a better leader. Just knowing that, because I made a very, I made a more concerted effort to always, to yeah. never walk in the door 
with those kind of footsteps. So, you know, I'm sure that's the kind of work that you do. So I, yes, I want to talk. I'll, I'll speak to that for just a quick second because you, you're making a really important point and I want our listeners to hear this. We broadcast our emotions whether we know it or not. And I have never met anyone in any organization that doesn't say the same thing about the boss, by the way, that I can tell I can tell my boss's mood. Uh, I can I can tell by the way they walk. I can tell by the you know, the, the, the movement of their heads. I can tell by the looks on their faces. I was training a group just last week and um, we had a long conversation, a really long conversation about this, because a lot of especially top executive people, they're very focused. And they're usually many of them walk into the office in the morning because they're focused, not because yeah. they're angry, because they're focused. But the facial expression of being focused on a single item that you're thinking about very much looks a lot like the facial expression of anger. And with, yeah. without that smile, without that, you know, the, in, the, the universal signal that this is friend and not foe. Remember the body, you know, we haven't had an upgrade in 350,000 years up here. You know, there's, you know there, there are certain facial expressions that signal this is friend. And when, and when somebody is so focused that their face is all screwed up, people interpret that as anger. And, and because we are always broadcasting our emotions as leaders, we have to be really careful what channel we're tuned to. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. And um, I'm just sharing the last 30 seconds. I love the way you talk. You said we haven't had an upgrade in the last 350,000 years. I think that's priceless. Uh, and you're so right. Um, you know what I want to do? I want to talk a little bit about workplace sure. happiness. And um, uh, because that's what we're focusing on today, primarily. I mean, it is a we have to be happy in all aspects of life. I think it's important. But, you know, when you're talking about working with leaders, I know that you have um, I read an article that you'd written about the workplace happiness is a business decision and the eight tips that will increase business resilience. Would you mind sharing those eight tips with oh, everyone? Sure, sure. I would really love to, because when when we create more positive emotion in a company, we develop something that psychologists call psychological capital. And, and one, of the, one of the pieces of psychological capital is resilience, which every company needs. So the first one is actually optimism because optimism can be learned. It is a skill that we can learn. Um, my teacher was Dr. Martin Seligman. Uh, before I had the opportunity to take happiness coaching with him, I had read his book, Learned Optimism. And for me, it was a life-changing book. And optimism and pessimism are explanatory styles. So it's the way we explain the world to ourselves. So I, I often use the example of, uh, you know, we're both here in Florida. And, of course, this is tourist season. <laughs> so... <laughs> And my and, and, and members of my family have been, you know, snowbirds or visiting and things like that. And members of your family, I'm sure everybody has people coming and visiting. And I always say you can tell an optimist from a pessimist when it rains because the pessimist says, oh, it always rains on my vacation. Every time I come here, it rains. They take, <laughs> they take a, a, a temporary situation and they make it pervasive. They make it sound permanent. It's always ha this happens to me every time I come here. So there's this there's an attitude towards the world that says, you know, they're they're kind of out to get me and it's always going to happen. That that permanent pervasiveness sort of seeps in. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And an optimist like might say, oh, they probably need the rain. Isn't that wonderful? I hear they have great museums or let's go to the movies without having any charge on it at all because a negative situation for, a for, a, for, a, for an optimist is temporary and specific. It's happening Tuesday, by Wednesday, it'll be okay. So it's the way we see the world and you can pick it up really quickly in somebody's language. So that yeah. optimism in the workplace really helps because I've never seen a company get out of a mess because they were pessimists. When, when right. you have to, when times are tough, and let's face it, you and I have seen a, a few tough times in business where you know, you know, as a business owner that, wow, I'm not sure how we're going to get out of this. Well, you get out of it better if you have optimism about, about getting out of it. 
and because we infect people with our emotions. I'll tell you, during the, what was it, the recession, 2008, 2009, it was really interesting. It was really interesting to see how many leaders chose to fill their organizations with fear as opposed to mm -hmm. filling their organizations with optimism. Very right results. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So another one is gratitude. And gratitude is so powerful because gratitude, I think of all the emotions, I think gratitude is the one that can shift you over to happiness or positivity quickest than anything else. I mean, it, it, it's, um, it goes so deep. And I'm talking about, you know, not like thank you, but uh, a, a real sense of gratitude. In fact, I encourage people when they are going to a state of gratitude to take their right hands and put it over their heart, which actually begins the flow of oxytocin in the body. Oxytocin is what's known as the tend to befriend chemical. So it already starts changing how the physiology is working. And then when we deeply go to gratitude, you know, really, really, really be grateful. Grateful that we have food on our table. Grateful that we have roofs over our heads. Grateful that we have family or friends or businesses, you know, things to occupy our minds. If you, if you see people that don't work, you'll stop complaining about work. You know, if you, if you yeah. see people with no food, you, you don't take your food for granted. And I think that's the key. The other thing that I learned that has been so revolutionary for me personally is that when you're experiencing a positive emotion, the neurons in the left prefrontal cortex light up. And when you are experiencing a negative emotion, the neurons in the right prefrontal cortex light up they can't be lighting up at the same time. So when you are in the middle of, I'll speak personally, when I am in the middle of, of a negative emotion, because there's a genetic component to this, and I'm not genetically a happy person. I think you are. Genetically, I'm, I'm not there. So for me, it takes a little bit more effort to, to choose that happiness. So um, when, I, when I get in that spot, one of my keywords, and I have it like a trigger word, I tell myself to turn left. You know, as if you're driving and someone shouts out, turn left. Well, for me, turn left is a signal to do something that's going to get me in the, the left side of my brain so that I can begin. Yeah, it's really it's 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 an it's an interesting way to do it. But I find it, you know, when you're again, when you're genetically predisposed to being a little bit more pessimistic, you go down that path first. The difference when you practice happiness is you don't keep going down that path. You create a set of tools so you don't keep heading in that direction. And I think that's so true. I think gratitude is probably one of my favorite things to practice. And every single day, my husband and I have a gratitude jar, and it has grown to it. You, oh, you know those, those. Big gallon, uh, five gallon jugs that have the spout on the top? It used to actually be an old. Um, um, right? Oh, yeah, in, in my living room. I'm trying to think of what this. It used to be um, a Harvey. What, what was made with Harvey Wallbanger? You remember the drink Harvey Wallbanger, and they made this. They made some. They used a used a specific alcohol. Well, we used to have one of those big tall glasses, oh, and it got broken. Oh, 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 I, I, so it was an Italian that. liqueur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying yeah. to think. I'll think of it in a minute. I'll, my husband's Galliano. walking in. I'm going to ask. Galliano. Uh, Galliano. So and. So what we have in our kitchen is we have this jar. It's called the happiness jar or the gratitude jar. So every day we write one, oh. just one little thing that we're great, grateful for. And I think it's, it just makes, it just, sometimes I do it in the morning. Sometimes I do it in the evening. It's whenever I remember. So most time it's when I'm cooking, I'll say, oh, this happened today. You know, um, if I had a great interview, I might say that. I try to make something That's different important. every single day, but it's, yeah. it's funny how it changes your whole um, demeanor and, and how you, you handle the rest of your time that day, for instance. So, um, I probably should do it in the morning, but I'm, a, I'm, like I said, I'm generally a happy person, but those are, that's a great tip for people I think who are not generally happy because there's always something to be happy for. The fact that you can put two feet on the floor is, yeah. is something, you know, or that you can get up in the morning or, you know, whatever it happens, warm, hot water. <laughs> hot water. In the yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we take so yeah, much for right? granted because we're always out there. A lot of a lot of these practices have to do with being mindful, with being in the moment, 
with recognizing where you are and what you have. And there's, there are so many, and you know what's interesting about this stuff, Heidi? These are so simple to do that they become very simple not to do. And so people forget. Right. Yeah. People take yeah. credit. I have a gratitude yeah. journal next to the bed, and I like to do the exercise taught to me by my teacher, which is called the three good things and why, or the three blessings and why. You can use either one. So at the end of the day, you too. write yeah. down three good things that happened to you that day, and you continue writing like why they happened or you expand on it because one of the things that the, the science of happiness has discovered is when you stay with a positive thought for more than 20 seconds, that's when it becomes a positive emotion. So it's not enough to say, oh, I'm grateful, I got this great cup of tea. Sit with the cup of tea. What about it are you grateful for? Why are you grateful for it? And those are the kinds of things, when you, when you start writing those things down, you go deeper into your gratitude. And if you do that right before you go to bed, it begins really, it, it begins to get you calmed down. And when you do that every day, it creates these new neural pathways in your brain that, because neurons that fire together wire together. So when, the, when you keep firing the neurons of gratitude together, you literally build a highway in your brain so that you get there quicker when you need wow. to get there quicker. So there's a lot of physiological results of yeah, practicing yeah. these things that we, you know, do. Um, so what, what are some of the other tips? <laughs> big one. Big one. Yeah. Probably a yeah, big one for and, a lot of people. I think when we let go of ill will towards others and more, you know, even, even as important, if not more important, is forgiveness for ourselves. And I find that most people yeah. in leadership positions are, you know, they're high achievers and, and many high achievers. And I'll put myself in that category, uh, have a bad habit of beating ourselves up when we don't do things the way we wanted to do them. Maybe this wasn't right or that wasn't right. We have to let go of that perfection, if you will. Make sure we're still thinking about progress, but let go of the perfection attitude around it. And, and be willing to forgive ourselves and to forgive others. Uh, there are people in businesses that are holding grudges against the guy in the production department or the woman in the mailroom. Like for, you know, they hang on to them. Yeah. It makes me crazy. So that forgiveness. But, you know, we don't talk about forgiveness in business. Can you help companies learn to let go of that stuff when is that some of the things, best. One yes. of the things that you do surface. the thing is that if i'm there long enough you know when i'm engaged as a consultant and i'm with their when i'm when i'm living in their culture and being in their culture and listening to their culture and analyzing their culture and talking about their culture i can do it a lot better than when i come in for two hours to give a speech you know what I'm saying? so yeah i i right. actually i can because we change the language you can't change a culture until you change the conversation so the first thing to change is is how we language things and i can't begin to tell you what language really sounds like in business so the first thing I'm, oh my next one is improve your self-talk so that plays right into that improve your self-talk and improve your language so the how we talk to ourselves is so important are we speaking gently and kindly to ourselves if we're not speaking gently and kindly to ourselves we're not as likely to speak gently and kindly to another Wow. One of my That's main true. teachers in life was Angelus Arian, who was a cross-cultural anthropologist. She unfortunately passed away at a relatively young age a few years ago. And uh, one of the things that Angelus taught us is that we'll, we'll never be able to do anything about violence in the world until we take that violence out of our own conversations with ourselves. So how many times do wow. we trip or do something you know and unconsciously say oh i'm so stupid or something like that and most people i talk to do that especially again the high achievers you know if they were trained well if they had the right kind of coaches and the right kind of parents they're going good girl <laughs> you know you did a great thing today. <laughs> most people's self-talk is a little less than positive so with leaders yeah. I, I i believe because we of course we of ourselves. You know, as leaders, we expect so much of ourselves, and when we disappoint ourselves, we think we're disappointing everyone. 
I think that that's probably the, for me, that's the bottom line. I, I tend not to do too much negative self-talk anymore, but I can remember the days when I did that a lot. I would, I beat myself up so bad every time I made even the silliest little right. mistake, you know. Right. And that's the first yeah, habit. That's, that's true, though. So get that, that's a bad habit. That's all that is. It's a bad habit. You know, you know, you're not an yeah. idiot. You know, you're not this. You know, you're not that. But it's something either you heard in your childhood or you picked up from television program. You know, we pick these habits up as we're growing up. We don't know where they come from. And it doesn't matter. We can change it. We can. That, yeah, yeah, you know, but it takes that awareness. It takes that mindfulness. What did I just say to myself? Is that useful? Is that going to help me get to where I want to go? Or is that going to hold me back in the past where maybe I was clumsy back then? But if I keep telling myself I'm clumsy, I'm going to continue to be clumsy. So there's that recognition. Yeah, excellent. So, so true. And next, the next one is flow. Get into the flow state. And you know what flow is. You know what flow is. Flow is that state you get into where you forget to eat lunch. You forget what day it is. You went, oh, my gosh, I got a television program at 3 o'clock. <laughs> you get so engaged that you, you become one with the music, so to speak, one with the activity. Uh -huh. This is a really important state for the brain. And what's happening now is we're all multitasking, and what we expect of our staffs is multitasking. Not so good. Because the brain can't no. really do that. The brain might be able to execute sequential activities very quickly so it will appear as if you're multitasking. But every time you switch from one to the other, you put yourself in danger of not doing one or the other or both correctly. So yeah. taking time during the day where you can work on activities, and I recommend even for people in call centers that the who you know it's it's a repetitive phone call after phone call after phone call is that is that their managers and leaders make sure that there's a small portion of each day when they're working on a project that only has to do with one thing, and they don't have to be you know moving from this screen to this screen to this screen to this screen, but but have an activity that they can get involved in. And, and, you know, even if it's 15 minutes, something that puts you in and flow. Complete. And complete. I think yeah. that's an, yes. a key yeah. ingredient is a lot of people, if they don't complete something throughout the day, they feel as though the day was wasted. Mm -hmm. I know for me, um, I'm not a good multitasker, never have been, never professed to be. When people say you, they think I'm a hot, because I, I achieve so much every day, I, I, I do produce yeah. a lot. Uh, it's because I work on one thing at a time yeah. and finish it most of the time. Or I put it, I do the effort I wanted to for that right. project, put it aside and start another project. But I don't think about that project once I put it aside. And I think that that's uh, been the only reason I've been able to do so much writing and, and all of the other things. And I'm sure you're the same way. And I think a lot of leaders know this. You know, I, I really have never met somebody who was really good at multitasking. They were good at organizing if you will, yeah. your time. Now, I think that's a really probably a better um, uh, description of, of high achievers or people, you know, who get a lot yeah. done. I have so, a, a little uh, mnemonic that I, that I teach people because, as, you know, especially managers, I was working recently with a, a very busy director of a call center and she was in an open space. They didn't have her in an office with a closed door. And all day long, people felt like they could just come up and, and interrupt her no matter what she was doing. It'll just take a minute. I only have one question. And, you know, so by the way, they say that when that happens, you lose 25 minutes. So you've got to go back. You know, you lose 25 minutes of productivity every time that happens because in, by the time you find your way back to what you were doing, you've lost all this time. Every time that we yeah. do it. So we came up with, we got a little construction cone about that big. And we made a little sign that said, when you see the cone, I'm in the zone. And everybody was taught that that she needs to get into the flow state several times during the day in order for her to complete her work. So it signaled without being offensive, without shutting people out, she put the little cone up. And I've used this in many companies and it's really, really, really effective. I love that. So when you see the cone, you're yeah. in the zone. Yeah. That's yeah. perfect. Perfect. Without, yeah, without being offensive. And then, so then people wait their turn. They come back. They <laughs> you, come back. It helps. You know, I know one, one woman that I worked with out in the Midwest, she did have a door, but they would stand there 
you know, like with the, floor, <laughs> with the nose up against the wall. And so she put a sign on the door each time. She, and she would say, I'm in cone time. She had the cone. They could see the cone. And she would put a timer. She would say, I'll be done. And you know, when, when you leave one of those little stores and you go out to lunch and it says, I'll be back at three o'clock. That's what she would uh -huh. do. Very clear oh, as that. to when she would be available and when she wouldn't. And you know what? Her staff learned how to deal with it. They were all happier. Yeah, absolutely. Because she could focus entirely on them instead of thinking about the other things she had to do during the conversation. Right. right. So, yeah. I know I tell my family all the time, if they see me like writing or something and then they come in and not that they're interrupting, but they are kind of interrupting because I'm busy. I work from home. And so then. And then they'll stand there and then I can't give them a hundred percent of my attention because I'm still thinking about that project. I was interrupted from completing and I'll say, give me five minutes, let me finish. And then I'm all yours, you know, and, um, it's a hard thing to train, but it does, it, they, they finally get it eventually. Seven-year-olds don't get it very well, but 15-year-olds are pretty good. I have a seven-year-old granddaughter. So when I'm out there, my the kids live in California. So when I go out there, I'm there for oh. 10 days, you know, so then there's the, shh, Nana's working. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, I once yeah. did a program somebody asked me to write a program for them and i called it home alone and it was out it was about people like us who had busy who worked at home and had busy lives and i worked at home even when i had you know when my daughter was home so yeah there, you have to have strategies and your children and other loved ones have to learn to respect your boundaries and your strategies Absolutely. I think we've gone through five of oh, the eight. Yes. Okay. We got uh, so how many next, more do we, we have three, three more? more. Uh, the next one is one of my favorite is it's called savoring. And oh. when I went to happiness school, when I took my happiness coaching, we had to do all these different instruments that measured our levels of happiness and optimism and blah, 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 all that stuff. And um, back when I studied with, with Marty Seligman, uh, it was right after he wrote the book, Authentic Happiness, and his theory then, which has changed, but his theory then was that there were three paths to happiness. There was pleasure, engagement, and meaning. So one of the tools that we use measured our pleasure, engagement, and meaning. So I was really high on meaning. I was really high on engagement, but I was really low on pleasure, which meant I worked really hard. I knew I had meaningful work. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't take the time I needed. So we had homework and all these classes and, you know, groups that we were, we were in a pod group. And so I had to learn pleasure. I had to learn more about, and one of the surest ways to get more pleasure out of things is to stop and savor them. And savoring is this beautiful activity because you can do it before, during, and after. So before I decided today, I was going to allow myself a nice little square of dark chocolate after lunch to kind of give me just a little jolt because there's a little caffeine in it, right? Before the, before today. So before I ate the chocolate, I thought about eating the chocolate. So, you know, the brain can't tell the difference between something that's real and something that's vividly imagined. So I started thinking, because I have a lot of chocolate in the fridge. I Hmm, what will I have today? Will I have the chocolate with the salt or will I have the chocolate with the raspberries? <laughs> and then I took the chocolate out because this is part of the savoring process. And I broke it and I put half of it in my mouth and just kind of let it melt. And I enjoyed that. And then I decided to save the other piece. I went in to meditate before we got on the air today. So I saved the other piece for when I came back. So I got to think about it again, <laughs> and now I'm telling you about it. So every time that happens, my bodies are producing the chemicals of calm, which turn on the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of your nervous system that helps you heal yourself. When we're under a lot of stress, and the body goes into fight or flight and starts pumping out the chemicals of fear, it turns off the part of your body that knows how to heal itself, which is why so many people have stress-related illness. Because they're not they're not accessing the, the natural forces in their body that will help them heal. So by doing little practices like this, you actually can build your immune system. You can build your healing power. It's, it's so amazing what the beneficial effects are. And you can undo the stress that's in your life. So, you know, have a good relationship with your chocolate, Heidi. <laughs> I was just... 
thinking about how much self-control that took to eat only half. Because <laughs> I love chocolate and I have to have one or two pieces every so single day. It's, just, it's, it's so good for you. I love it. And only yeah, dark. Yeah, but I just do love it. And I, but I don't know that I can eat half a piece and then go back to it. I'd be thinking about that whole half a piece while I was doing something else. And my mind would be taken up on finishing the chocolate. <laughs> no, I, I learned it. I, so I'm, I'm amazed and I really am. Um, wow. I think that's cool that you have such self-control. <laughs> I don't think of it that way. It makes the pleasure last longer. That's true. Well, I can always have another piece. <laughs> that's what I Oh my gosh. Okay. So I, I, for those people who are counting how many of the eight tips there are, I like to make sure we get through them. So I think we're up to six now. A six was saver. Six was saver. So, so seven okay. is reframing. And that's, that's looking at a, you know, look at a situation as if it was an actual photograph. Now that we have so many people using photographs on Pinterest and on Facebook and things like that, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you want to zoom in on one item in the picture. Sometimes you want to zoom out. Sometimes you want to cut off this corner of the picture or that corner of the picture. Well, you can do the same thing with your reality. So you can reframe any situation at all. So you can take a situation that's happening and you can see it as the, you know, the Chinese, the Chinese glyph for um, crisis has one picture of danger and the other picture of opportunity. So right. how can each thing that comes to you be an opportunity? And, and we typically, because we are hardwired for harder times, we have a negativity bias. So when something bad happens, we tend to focus on the badness of it as opposed for the opportunity of it. When we were in the middle of recession, when times were really, really tough, I have a, a client that I worked with for years and years out in the Midwest, and we did positive leadership out there. But then when things got tough, employees were having a hard time. So we actually did happiness seminars there. And one of the questions that I threw out one day that got, at first, utter silence was, what's good about what's bad? Wow. Complete silence. And I didn't give any other explanation. And I just waited. And people started saying things like, well, you know, since my husband's been out of work, I see him more and he's more involved with the kids. Uh, we can't afford to go out to eat right now. So I've been cooking more. And I found out that I really like cooking and it's a great family activity. So people started pouring out personal things that were going on there because because given the opportunity to reframe the situation they were able to find goodness yeah and that's so true i think you have to look at things from a different perspective in order to have a full perspective of things because sometimes we only look at the the things that are going on in the way that the world sees them and the media is sharing it with us oh, etc you know the media can be our friend or our foe and most time you know they're not the friend because they're always I'm sorry. picturing depicting things in a way that it it incites people. I think you know. Did you notice so. that too? I mean, I the the thing is that if you look out, if you only look at what's going on in the news, the world is in terrible shape. If you if you if you go down several layers and you get into what the, where the communities are, millions of people around the world celebrating positivity, millions of people around the world celebrating happiness, doing random acts of kindness, having gratitude journals. It's amazing what's going on in the world today. But do we hear about it? No. Because it doesn't. No. Remember. Yeah, that's true. That's why I don't watch news. Most of I us read the news. watch a little nugget yeah. to get the headline of what's happening. But the, the one thing that you can do to make your yeah. life happier is stop watching the news. And I mean watching because they all the gory stuff. You can read. You, you can take a small little bit and read on the Internet or read on a newspaper a little bit. That's what I do. I read most of my news from MSN and I get what I need. I choose the, the stories I want to read unless because when you're watching news, you have to either turn it off or walk out of the room when you don't want to watch a certain thing. Not that I think we should be shut off from what's happening in a, in the globally. It's just that the way it's presented to us often isn't the full story. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, anywhere. I mean, you know, that's what that's what ends up making us crazy. <laughs> you know, and it incites all of the stuff that's going on. Okay, one more. One we have more one more. Is, we just talked about your strengths. Understand, understand what your strengths are and Love build that. on them. Research shows that in enduring happiness 
comes from spending time in your strengths, not from spending time doing things that you don't do well, because that's when you beat yourself up. So, and if you're an employer, you need to understand what your employees' strengths are and see if you can focus your attention on that. In order to have a, a high performance, and I, the only thing I want to create is high performance workplaces. I can't, I want people to thrive. I, so you need a positivity to negativity ratio of five to one. So you need five positive things to every one negative thing. That means five times more praise, five times more admiration, five times more recognition, uh, five times more celebration. You need five times more of the good stuff to each one of the, the bad things. And people ask me, well, how do you give people bad news? And don't you really need to criticize people? No. You need to coach people towards uh, in the areas where they're not as strong as others. But if you spend five times more with them focusing on their strengths, and then you approach them from saying, you know, Heidi, you have great communication skills. Your organization skills are superb. And, and, and you know that I've noticed all of your skills. And then I say, there's one area where I'd like to see you get a little improvement. How can we use your strengths of communication and organization and whatever else they are to work on this one area where I'd like to see a little improvement. That's a whole different discussion. Because if you know that most right. of the time I'm looking for your goodness and I'm looking to see what you do right instead of what you do wrong, then I'm going to trust that you have my well-being at heart, that you're not looking to, I don't even know what the phrases are, you know, sandbag me or, you know. And that's, the, I think that one of, there's a few things that really drive my passion. One of them is that after 26 years of being a consultant, there's one sentence I've heard more than any other sentence. Let me tell you what it is. How come my boss never notices when I do something right, but when I do something wrong, it's all over me. I've heard that probably wow. 20 maybe 30 times in the course of my, but that's a lot because that's one sentence said in the exact same way by many different people. There's something there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. There, there are a lot of people who only focus on those because they, it's, they may see the good things that they're doing, but they don't realize the importance you know of hear? sharing and that I just heard it last week. Maybe. Okay. You know what I hear? Isn't that what I'm paying them for about their good, about the strengths, about their strengths. Wow. The good things that they do every day. Wow. They sit there and I hear it over and over and over again. Isn't that what I'm paying them for? Why should I have to mention it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just like a child, positive reinforcement. When a child does the right thing the right way, you tell them that was such a great thing. And we stop doing that when we when they grow up. We stop telling them. What a great job you just did. And it could be a very small thing like, you know, drinking your cup, drinking out of a cup without the sippy top and not spilling it, you know, or, or you know, eating, putting all your food on your fork instead of using your fingers to eat. I don't know. You know, I'm talking about really little children, how we how we train them. And every time they do just a really simple task, you know, it starts from the time they use the, exactly. the potty. What's so <laughs> you funny know? about the, the people that I, you know, deal with in these in, in these environments, you know, where I'm where I'm teaching, uh, generally they're pretty high level. So at a pretty high level, we're let's face it, we're self motivated. No one has to wake us up in the morning and say, "Time to go to work, Heidi." Time to go to work, Joanne. We just get up and go to work because that's what we want to do. Right. But what I hear them say, they don't realize that that everybody's not wired like them. So what I'm hearing them say is, well, why should yeah. I need to praise them for doing the job? And generally right now, I throw it right back. I said, how many children do you have and how old are they? I want you to think about how you raised your children. When they went down the slide at the, at the, at the, the playground, did you say, good job, Jeremy? You know, when they first time they went, I usually use that example. First time they went on the potty, did you say good job? I said, in fact, if you today were to go to a playground, because I do it with my grandkids, go to the playground and just listen. What are we saying? We are positively reinforcing these children for every single move they make. And then when they come into the workforce, you say, why do I need to praise them? Because you raise them that way. And they just sit back in their seats, you know, like, wow. Oh, Thought of it that way. <laughs> You're going, oh my God. Busted. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
Wow. And you know what? There is just so much great information that um, this could be a week long. Oh, it could be a year long seminar for that matter. But um, I'm so glad you were able to share those eight tips. Let's talk a little bit about your company. Tell us what kind of client you typically work with and how do you market to them or how, yeah, or exactly. how do they find more, out about I you? Am, I haven't been very aggressive about my marketing in the last few years. So it's more that they find out about me. I mostly get my work from referrals or from my speaking engagement. So someone's actually seen my work, see me work. Um, I always ask for a business card. I always offer something. I was, I grew up in direct marketing. So I always have an offer. I always have an offer. So I will say something like, if you leave me your business card today, I will give you a copy of my special report. And so they'll leave me a business card. I will come home. We do something here called aftercare. And so I will send out a list of resources. I'll send what I promised. I might link them to a couple of videos in case they want to show more. It's, you know, it's a, it's a lot, just like you are, about, about giving them, creating value. So we create value everywhere along right, the, right. the way. It's gotten a little harder because a lot of people don't want to give up the business cards these days. You know, so I will come home. If I have a list of who's there, I'll come home and, you know, look them up on LinkedIn and perhaps send them something that way. Primarily, I'm my own mailing list because I've been doing this since the day. I I've been writing newsletters since the day I started my business. So there's always something. Wow. So we gather cards and put them on the mailing list and, you know, so typically that's where my business comes from. Um, the companies that I want to work for and most of the companies I do work for are good and they want to be great. I am not at all interested in working for companies that are broken and want to be fixed. I can remember the exact day I right. literally, after dealing with a client that, I mean, I poured my heart and soul. It was a company up in New York. I poured my heart and soul in this business and they, they, they just weren't getting it. There were, there was a lot of ego involved and you know, you can only imagine. And uh, I remember standing here looking up in the sky and saying, God, stop sending me these broken businesses. <laughs> and my business dried up. I forgot <laughs> to tell them what I wanted. Wow. So I got that right. Literally, I stopped the broken Very places important. stopped coming because uh, I used to get calls that say, I just lost my number one client. Come and help. You know, now I get calls from people who say, you know, we're doing a good job. But, you know, how do we get great? How do we get this happiness stuff? So it's really the people that are already moving in the right direction. And what they need is a little wind under their wings. Right. And you know what? I think you can probably affect more change with them because the other people, it's such a probably such a culture shock that half the things that you well, teach them, they don't implement a, anyway. Or they try to do a little bit of it well, thinking that's going to fix, the, fix problem. the problem. Um, I, I've spent a lot of years where the first thing yeah. I was, would hear is, I want you to go to that department and you know fix them. Go fix those customer service people. And I can't tell you how many jobs I've been fired from. Wow. Uh, in, especially entrepreneurial kinds of companies you know where there's you know 35 to 50 people in the in the company and eventually after I've been in there digging around all arrows are starting to point towards the leader and that if the leader's attitude doesn't change nothing else is really gonna have sustainable change it'll change for a little while but it'll as soon as the leader comes right. in and starts looking at what's wrong instead of what's right it's gonna go right back to where it was Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you have to start with the top. You have to start start at the top. I think any. I think in any good company, it, it all starts at the top. Um, so, um, all right. So let's talk about how you motivate entire organizations to get passionate about customers <laughs> and raise their positivity. I wave my arms a lot. No. Ratios. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, important. You know, I, I have a theory. Um, I call it the working relationship tripod. It's as if your business is sitting on top of a three-legged configuration, and each one of those legs represents a different set of relationships. So one leg represents all your external relationships, your customers, your communities, your suppliers, your vendors, you know, all the people that are outside the company. One leg represents the, the people inside the company, your employees and your coworkers, all those people. And the other leg is the one we haven't paid any attention to, and that's the inner self. That's the, the relationship that you have with your work. 
whether or not you get up in the morning and go, yes, I get to go to work today, or whether or not you get up in the morning and go, oh, I got to go to work today. You know, there, there's, there's a huge difference in how you deal <laughs> with people. So by helping people understand that the inner relationship has to come you know the inner game of customer care has to come first you've you've got to you've got to be working internally first because when you just start working on yourself then you can then reach out to others and you play well with others so having the 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 teachings of the science of happiness now has been so helpful because when people understand about the happiness set point and that some of it's genetic and some of it's voluntary and neurons that fire together wire together and it's a it's a habit of thinking and that happiness is a choice and it's a it's like a muscle you can build it when people hear this stuff, they want to practice it. They want to get better. And that's what I see in my evaluation forms. Thank you for this seminar. This was for me personally, not for the company. Yeah, well, it was for the company, but we started with you. So, you know, we... Right. Well, you know, but that's a wonderful insight that if people realize that it is actually for them and not for the company, they're going to be Absolutely. more invested in it. So that's actually brilliant. I think one of that's the really very brilliant. best emails I ever got was from a man uh, in a uh, garbage and recycling company uh, who sent me a letter, a little email one day, and he said, my wife told me to write and say thank you. She doesn't know what you did to me, but she's very grateful, and you should keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The best. It warms my heart like nothing had ever warmed. Because when, oh, my God. Because, because I do this. I do what I do because we spend so many hours at work. And if we can improve the way that people feel at work, if we can eliminate the energy drains and give them, when you build on strengths, you've got energy gains. You feel strong. You feel good about yourself. You go home, you have time for your kids. There's some research out there that says the children that do the bullying in schools are the children whose parents are very unhappy at work. You know? Wow. Well, and think about I it, Every, because everything's connected. Everything's oh, connected. So yeah. if you create, whether you create a happy company and have a great culture or you have a toxic culture, it's going to go out through your employees, into the communities, into the children. I mean, when you think about it, when, when you create that happy culture, everybody's, you know, your suppliers are happier, your customers are happier, the bottom line is happier. You give away, give, people that are in positive emotion are more generous. So you give to your churches, you give to your community services organizations. There is this spillover effect that, that spreads out all over the place. That's the stuff that motivates me. It's not that I'm going to make a difference in Heidi's life. It's that Heidi's going to make a difference in how many lives. Yeah. True. You only you only have on the planet, I think um, definitely it's important because we can only keep up our own self happiness. Uh, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I'm generally a happy person. I'm around a lot of happy people. If I get around negative people, I tend to, they're not my friends and I tend to lose them pretty quickly because they, they affect you, you know, but, um, but, if, but I think that that's, that can be an issue for some people because they're surrounding themselves by that. You know, we could it talk about all of that. that world. We put, we, meaning businesses, that corporations put so much focus on the numbers, on the metrics, and don't invest in this. You know, they call them soft skills. So what's surprising me is in a day where right. we have, you know, 18 to 20 years of science behind this now, what's surprising me is that people aren't getting that it's the soft skills that yield the hard results. Because when you think about the customer experience, which is the framework for everything I do, because that's the world I came out of. The, when you think about the customer experience, the customer experience is the sum total of the feelings that they have as a result of doing business with you and whether or not you delivered the value they expected. So if it's all about the feelings, why aren't organizations more emotionally intelligent? 
But most people, when you right. tell them what are the benefits of doing business here, they give you all the, we have purple cups, we have eyeglasses, but it give you the hard stuff. But they, they, they don't talk about, you know, my, my customer needs to feel appreciated. My customer needs to feel cherished. My customer needs to feel valued. My employees need to feel, you know, when you get into that, it's all about feelings. So why not engage people that are willing to help you understand how to create specific kinds of positive feelings? It's still looked at, I, the majority of companies. I agree. I totally agree. I think it talks about yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you can think about it this way. Branding is really a soft thing, a soft skill, because it really if you if you do branding right, companies that do branding right, they're they're creating Absolutely. emotional connections Absolutely. with people. So this is but all part branding. of that. It's all, all but part to of do the branding, branding right. Strategy. You have to include the experience. You can't just brand with a logo. You need to brand along with that. You need to brand with the experience that the customer experience is the brand. Which is. It's an emotion, though. Again, going back to an emotion. So, so people, I think that maybe need to understand that the whole part of this that you're doing has to do with their brand yeah. and how and yeah. how it's affecting me. I the, have a you know, um, um, a special report, of course, at returnonhappiness.com/slash/happyplace, and it's twelve ways to make your workplace a happy place. So we're going to write that in the uh, in the sidebar here, so that people who okay. are listening can replay. Uh, if you could do that, that would be great. Uh, over here on the side where it says uh, met, over here where it says live chat, if you want to type in something or mess over on the left hand side, I think where it says questions. I don't know how it looks on your screen because I'm the leader of this, but somewhere where you can write a message or it says send a message. Do you see it? I see down it. at the bottom. If you if you could type that in and then well, it'll be on the replay as well. Um, that would be great because I think that that report and, you know, in fact, since you're, you're doing that, um, we could talk a little bit about when you talked about, I mean, we didn't really go into a lot of depth on, on how you promote your business, but if you talk about the speaking yes. and the fact that you give something as part of that whole process, that's a brilliant strategy, even though a lot of people are doing it. If yeah. you're giving something that people want, they're going to, they're going to, you know, I mean, I, I'll speak at conferences where I'll get 10 people coming up out of 50 and I'll speak at conferences where I'll get a hundred people who want, and it's the same yeah. product and the same, the same thing that I'm giving. It's just a, the audiences are all, you know, maybe it was the way I talked. I don't know. So, uh, or it could be the audience. I'm not sure. We also, I mean, we yeah, also do, yeah, we're really getting yeah. more involved in Facebook now. I've got more people working with me now so I can extend myself a little further. We get involved in Facebook. We have, you know, we, we publish all our content. We, we charge for very little. We give a lot, you know, give a lot away for free for years and years and years. I've always said to my clients, uh, if you want to republish my tips. So I've got articles in car washing magazines and all kinds of these little niche you know, places because editors are always looking for more content. So I think just, you know, being generous with your work, giving things away, I think that's an important piece too. Really listening for what people value oh, and then creating products that address what they want. Um, I'm sure there are other ways I market that. You know, I don't think about much. Um, I, I market one of my blogs by... Um, this is a per this is this is for the new book. It's called Practice Positivity. That's funny. I thought I had the the orientation backwards so you could read that. It says Practice Positivity. I have a blog called Positivity Practices, and I leave these in coffee shops. And I because they're so cute, people pick them up yeah. everywhere. So I just leave these all over the place because you know it's just not getting me a bazillion new subscribers, but it doesn't take many. You know, you might somebody just might pick one up and say, "Wow, Positivity Practices. That's cool." You know. And you never know when it's going to change somebody's life. So it's important. I actually know. That's the thing. I think what you're doing is changing lives. Uh, please make sure that you put the, the report when you get a moment. Um, and I want to also ask. There you go. Keep them happy. All right. So, um, and then the other thing is when you get a chance, I'd love for you to write an article uh, for We Magazine for Women because I think that what you what you talk about is our audience would love it. Um, we have a, a little bit of time left, so let's talk about a couple more things. Um, 
If you could work with anyone in the world, you know, who I, would that be and why? I saw that question. And I I can't think of a person I can think. Yeah, no, I think, I think it would be someone that's on one of those lists of the best places to work for that have already, maybe the, maybe the bottom three, you know, <laughs> the ones that are already <laughs> committed, they, they, they know it means changing habits that, you know, in other words, the groundwork is done. So I think I, if I could work for any company, it would be companies that are already on this path that, that are, that are, are people that just are attracted to what I'm doing. And, and want me want me for who I am and how I am I, I'm you know I'm as quirky as they get so you know p people that are willing to um, you know I'm not a I'm an author I'm not a best-selling author I'm not you know all that kind of stuff but I have a, a wealth of experience and I think I think I really like to work with people that are already on the road to doing this and and and, and allow me to give them just that little bit more push and, and lift so here's a thought for you. Get find out those lists and when they're being published, like Forbes post you market to them? Do you do you send them a card and say, Hey, congratulations for being on the list? If I can ever be of service to you, let me know. I you know, or something like that. I don't know. It just it seems like it a does. natural fit it does. for you. And I just passed along. I had been I last year was a phenomenal year for me but I was working pretty much unsupported. I have a few people that were helping me out, but I didn't have a, you know, a, a, the kind of assistant I really need. I just hired somebody that's going to be able to organize all that. I am a bit of a sort of right brain creative kind of person. So, you know, yeah. So, me you know, too. without, without, without that support of someone who's different than you are, because we all have our strengths. And when we hire to our weakness rather than to our strength. So I hired somebody who's really strong in the areas in which I am really weak. So all of that will come. So important. And that's the sign of a good leader, too, because we, we don't need I, I'm not good at math. I, I know how to do it. <laughs> and I can read I and I can actually read I can read a spreadsheet and understand it. However, it's not my strong suit. It takes me a lot longer to 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 uh to um balance my checkbook than someone who who does that, you know, effortlessly. So I prefer well, to outsource theory. that outsource sort of thing. Anything you know, you're not good at. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Um, what books are you currently reading, Joanna? Oh my or, gosh. Or would I'm you recommend? Read, oh, I, I just finished uh, an amazing book by John Maxwell called Intentional Living. Love John Maxwell. I just finished that and I was in a book group. Living. So it was phenomenal. We had 35 people and we were in tables of, you know, of, of eight or 10 or what, however it worked out that week. Um, so not only did I have my own uh, opinion about it, I got a chance to discuss it. So that was, that was, you know, completely amazing. I've just recently read Big Magic, which is Elizabeth Gilbert's book on creativity. Um, I am uh, finishing Buddha's Brain. I read many, many books at the same time. And Buddha's Brain is by Rick Hansen. I'm reading Untethered Soul. And so I've got them, you know, they're sort of in, in different stages. So sometimes it actually takes me a long time to read a book. But there are lots of them. I'm writing these down because I like to, uh, on a follow-up, I like to let people know the books that, the, that are, are uh our uh, interviewees or our entrepreneurs are reading because it's important that we, you know, um, we can't learn about all these books ourselves. I don't think, I think you can go to Amazon bestsellers, but they're all different types of books that can help. It doesn't have to be for years. I was just reading self-help books and then I stopped reading and I was just reading <laughs> internet marketing books. And then, so now I try to do what you do and, and have a variety as your, cause it, it does help your brain work oh yeah the whole brain yeah, and then I, I always try um, to keep a novel no. in the house so that i can i've got something i can slip into the bathtub with or you know read at night that because otherwise you know the wheels keep going and going and going so i i, I yeah. like to do yeah. a, a little of yeah. that as well i'm looking forward to maybe an afternoon on the beach where i can just do that we'll see well just have you have to put it in, it in your calendar um in addition to your own website, what one website can you just not live without? What one website can I just not live without? Besides Google. 
people tell me Google. I'm like, no, that doesn't no, count. I, I don't. I, I get a lot of emails. Um, but uh -huh. I don't. I you know, and I follow them back to the website. Um. I mean, is there a, a website that I, you, you know use what? as a resource? I go to Mind Valley a lot. Mind Valley. Mind I take Valley. courses there, and I go to the Shift Network, and I go to HeartMath because HeartMath. There, there's. The, the, I've been trained by them to go. So, I if I want to recommend one, I would say go to HeartMath. H e a r t m a t h, because HeartMath teaches us how to use the the electric power in our heart. 60 times more powerful than the voltage in our brain to bring our stress level down. And wow. they have a ton of resources. And I've been studying with them for about 20 years. And um, I just love their stuff. I mean, I just love it. They're, 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 it's a research institute. They have something going, the Global Coherence Initiative. They have going to show us that they're trying to prove to the world, and I think it's so, that we are all connected. So when you and I raise our level of happiness, we are helping to raise the exhilaration level of the whole planet. I agree. I would totally agree with you. So what's next for Joanna Brady? I've got so many things working. The e-courses, I'm focused on the e-courses. Oh. So hopefully by my birthday, which is in July, we'll have that first course out. We'll be marketing it like crazy. I can't wait. That will be, we'll have direct marketing campaigns. Um, we're, we're planning on, um, perhaps going to the happiest cities, you know, there, there's a geography of happiness. So there are happy cities, there are happy towns, there are happy seaside towns. I'd like to, to offer my services to towns that are already identified as being happy towns. But I, want I know on MSN, I read a lot about the yeah, yeah, 10 yeah. happiest places in the U.S., 10 happiest countries in the world and that sort of thing. So those are really, uh, they're interesting. I'd like, um, I'd like, to, I'd like yeah. to visit them and I, soak up I, a little happiness. Yeah, and uh, share I some think, too. You know, there's some, there's some <laughs> little fantasy idea I have. And, you know, that's where the ideas come from is you start with a fantasy. I have never driven cross country. And um, it might be fun someday to have a bunch of places where I'm speaking about happiness and sort of make my way to significant places around the country, perhaps. We'll see. I love it. Well, you let us know about your journey. So how can our audience get in uh, touch with you? My email is joanna at returnonhappiness.com. Returnonhappiness.com. My main your website, website is returnonhappiness.com. And my, okay. my positivity so, website, which I is the book site, the, the book that I'm working on, that's positivitypractices.com. It's not okay. For some reason, it won't let me enter. Okay. Return on happiness. It, it worked for the other. Okay. Maybe it'll come through now. Okay. There we go. And it's positivity yes, practices. Yes. Is that with an S? It's with an S. And uh, there's another special report there. It's called From Positive Thinking to Positive Doing. All right. I'll make sure that people get that as well. Joanna, it has been an absolute delight. I'm so excited that we've crossed paths again and, and yeah. reconnected on the, at, uh, the floor speakers, of course, and, and you're on our show today and I'll send you the link when it's done. And I just wanted to say uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to be with my I can't audience. I how much fun this is for me. It's such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank my you. pleasure. Joanna, it's been great. And for those of you listening in on the replay, be sure and, and visit Joanna at returnonhappiness.com. Uh, check out Women in E-Commerce at WECAI. That's our the producer of this show. My name is Heidi Richards-Mooney. Tomorrow, we have uh, Mindy Gibbons-Klein. She is known as the book midwife, and she'll be our special guest tomorrow. So be sure and tune in at 4 p.m. Eastern time for that show. And again, Joanna Brandy, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.